Welcome everybody to tonight's Zoom meeting on evil and conspiring men in the last days and a word of wisdom for our day. Now, if we go to DNC 89, verse 4. Behold, verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, in consequence of evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days, I have warned you and forewarned you by giving unto you this word of wisdom revelation. Now, there are several things contained in that verse. First, this word of wisdom revelation. Now, a word of wisdom revelation is not a specific revelation, but a type of revelation. And this, the specific revelation recorded in DNC 89, uh, is an example of a word of wisdom revelation. Um, and a word of wisdom revelation is not a thus saith the Lord revelation. A word of wisdom revelation is taking the best knowledge and wisdom of your day, applying the spirit to it, and using it as a good conduct to live by. Uh, in Joseph Smith's day, um, what we have is DNC 89 right now is mostly the credo from the temperance movement of his day, which was the best understanding on uh, the best law of health. Well, we have a lot more knowledge and understanding in our day. And our environment and our food is radically different than uh, what was available in Joseph Smith's day. Um, and so if we, if we look at a health code or a word of wisdom for our day, um, it looks very different. But the principle upon which it is based is also contained in verse 4. Verse four. In consequence of evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days. Well, we've got a completely different set of evil and conspiring men in our day than existed in Joseph Smith's day. And therefore, um, the basis of a word of wisdom in our day, you know, has to reflect uh, the, the evils and the designs that we face in our day. Now, it's interesting to note uh, regarding DNC 89 that there were more men in the Civil War who died from botulism, from poorly prepared meat than on the battlefield. Um, and, you know, the, the main evil of the men of Joseph Smith's day, as far as health went, were those who were trying to poison the sacramental wine. Now, in our day, uh, perhaps the most, one of, I'll say, the most pernicious evils in our day, in addition to this COVID-19 vaccine, 
uh, which we will get to, is glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in the herbicide Roundup. And the GMO foods, which have been bioengineered to withstand the application of glyphosate. So, you know, first off, you know, glyphosate is a major endocrine disruptor, um, which means it affects the, the thyroid, the reproductive system, and other hormoning, hormone producing systems of the body. It's also um, designed to be an antibiotic. And, you know, most of the, the human uh, resistance to disease, our immune system, uh, our ability to extract nutrition from food and even to produce vitamins and substances that we need for optimum health are produced by the healthy gut bacteria in our guts. And the uh, antibiotic action of glyphosate uh, particularly targets the biotics of our gut and destroys them. It also, our gut lining is only one cell thick. Uh, although the, these are incredibly tough and durable cells, um, they're only one cell thick. And glyphosate also penetrates the gut lining and creates holes in the gut, whereby things that are supposed to be contained in the gut are able to leak into the blood supply. And, you know, if we look at the incidence of autism and things like leaky gut and food allergies, they exploded during the mid-90s, you know, when uh, the use of glyphosate really became widespread. And, you know, when we're looking at, you know, these types of diseases, you know, particularly, you know, autism and, and leaky gut, you know, when you combine the toxic effects of glyphosate in Roundup with uh, many of the active ingredients in the vaccines, you know, they exponentially increase each other's toxicity. And, you know, both you know, are largely to blame for the increase in autism and food allergies and, and leaky gut that we have today. Now, glyphosate not only attacks and kills our own microbiome in our gut, but it also attacks and kills the microbiome of the soil. And it's the microbiome of the soil that's able to break down the nutrients in the soil and deliver them to plants. Um, in addition to destroying the microbiome of our soils, it's also a chelator of minerals, which means that it binds up minerals and makes them unavailable for absorption by plants. Well, it also binds up minerals in our body and leaches them out of our body. And so, you know, studies have shown that, you know, plants 
uh, grown in soils which have glyphosate residue only are able to absorb about 10% of the mineral content of plants grown in non-glyphosate contaminated soils. Um, you know, speaking of our own gut microbiome, about 80% of the body's immune system is in the gut. Our white blood cells are a secondary line of defense. So when we, when we have the presence of glyphosate and the destruction of our own microbiome, uh, it, it destroys our primary um, defense against disease. Um, in addition, um, neurotransmitters, uh, especially, um, you know, things like serotonin, uh, about over 80% of what our body uses is actually produced by healthy gut bacteria in our gut under the direction of about 100 million neurons that we actually have in our gut and are transported up to our brain via the vagus nerve. Um, while our stomach breaks down the nutrition uh, and food that we eat, the nutrition isn't absorbed or harvested in our stomach. The nutrition is actually, in large part, mostly harvested in our gut, again, by our healthy gut bacteria. And many of the things that we eat uh, are the perfect foods for healthy gut bacteria probiotics, and they actually produce many of the essential nutrients and vitamins that our body needs, which are passed on to us. So when we destroy our gut microbiome, we also destroy our ability to extract nutrition from the food we eat. So we can be eating a nutritionally perfect diet, but be nutritionally starving, but not calorically starving to death. Now, in addition to the toxic effects of glyphosate on the human body and upon the soils that we grow our food in, you know, it's these genetically modified organisms or GMOs that are bioengineered to withstand the spring of Roundup on them and not die. And you know, genetic engineering has a multitude of problems. You know, first, DNA is the most complex um, code, you know, on the planet. You know, it makes Microsoft Windows look like child's play. And if you are programming computer code and you randomly insert uh, a section of code into the program, not only is it going to have its intended uh, effect, but it's going to introduce numerous unintended consequences. And so you have to thoroughly test uh, that program after you introduce new code into it to find all the unintended consequences. Well, the unintended consequences of inserting genetic code into the food microbiome um, can range from the hundreds to the hundreds of thousands. And so, um, 
These unintended consequences are hardly studied by the biotech engineering firms who produce the genetically modified organisms. And I often hear it said that, well, you know, we have been genetically modifying food for thousands of years. And that's what hybridization is. And, you know, that's, you know, the whole purpose of, of grafting, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, however, hybridization and, you know, grafting, you know, that um, is a vertical um, change of genetics that is controlled by the plants um, versus genetic engineering, which is actually horizontal uh, changing of the genetic code of plants. And not only are you not staying within the same family when you're genetic engineering, but you're oftentimes crossing entire kingdoms. And, you know, this is not natural and this is not sustained or controlled by nature. And, you know, again, you know, Rand, when you take, you know, specific or even random genes across an entire kingdom and insert them into a different kingdom, again, the unintended consequences can be devastating. You know, one example, they will take the BT toxin gene out of the BT toxin mold and they will insert it into, uh, say, the corn or soy genome or any GMO plant which is, you know, BT toxin enabled. Well, when an insect eats this BT toxin, it ruptures their own gut and the insect dies. Well, inserting this into, say, the corn genome turns each kernel of corn into a pesticide factory. And when we eat the GMO BT toxin food, it splits open our gut lining. And again, you know, as the action of glyphosate, which splits apart our gut lining, you know, so does the BT toxin gene. And, and while our own human genome can't incorporate DNA from uh, a mold, the unhealthy bacteria in our gut can. And if our unhealthy gut bacteria incorporate the BT toxin gene into their own genome, it literally turns our own gut into a pesticide or an herbicide factory. Well, actually, BT toxin would be a pesticide factory. And if your gut is turned into a pesticide factory, you can say goodbye to your health and well-being for the rest of your life. Now, you know, the major crops that are genetically modified, but it's not exclusive to these, you know, are corn, soy, sugar beet. Um, there are varieties of potatoes. There are varieties of apples. And it's critical that, you know, any GMO crop that you're going to be eating uh, is, or any classification of food where they make a GMO variant that is available in stores uh, for sale, um, that you get a certified organic version 
which is the U.S. government's, you know, stamp that no genetically modified organism uh, was, um, or that, you know, the seeds used to plant um, this crop were not genetically modified, you know, in a lab, and that, you know, the herbicide glyphosate in Roundup was not used to spray, uh, you know, this crop. Now, not only are GMO crops sprayed with Roundup or glyphosate, but glyphosate or Roundup is also used as a desiccant, or it speeds up the, the harvest and processing uh, time because it dries out the crops so that it doesn't mold. And so most grains are sprayed with Roundup as a desiccant. Most beans and many seeds are sprayed with uh, Roundup as a desiccant. Even sugarcane is often sprayed with Roundup as a desiccant. So if you're going to consume any of these foods, including beans or grains or sugar from sugarcane, uh, it's critical that they be organic because even very small amounts of glyphosate uh, can have, you know, terrible endocrine disrupting effects on the human body. Now, probably the most damaging natural food that we put into our body are the polyunsaturated fatty acids. And, you know, they're also called PUFIDs. These are also the omega-6s. Now, an omega-6 polyunsaturated fat is missing, you know, two hydrogen um, bonds. And so, uh, and it can't be missing many more than that, which means that it oxidizes very quickly and goes rancid. Now, you know, we have only been exposed to these polyunsaturated fatty acids in any quantity for maybe the last 120 to 150 years. It really started with commercial production of cottonseed oil. And so, you know, our bodies, you know, not being designed to eliminate these fats because we've never been exposed to them, uh, they're incorporated into uh, you know, our, our tissues. And the problem is that when our body uses the polyunsaturated fatty acids to uh, build, uh, you know, our body, they still oxidize really quickly. And so it literally causes our body to stop or to start rusting from the inside out. Um, you know, just like the partially and fully hydrogenated vegetable oils where you take a room temperature liquid oil and you add extra hydrogen to it to make it so solid 
at room temperature, which dramatically increases the shelf life and it extends the period um, of its useful shelf life and you know halts uh, rancidity from setting in. The problem with that is your body will take fat and it will use it as if it were a saturated fat, you know, to build your brain, to build your central nervous system, to build the cell walls in your body, you know, try and make hormones out of it. Well, when the proper saturated fat or cholesterol is used to build your cell walls, it keeps the bad stuff out and the good stuff in. However, when a partially hydrogenated fat is used to build your cell wall, your mitochondria, etc., cetera, um, it becomes permeable and it allows the things that are supposed to be contained within the cell to leak outside the cell. And it allows the things that are supposed to be contained and prevented from coming inside the cell to come inside the cell. So literally when we consume these polyunsaturated fatty acids and these partially hydrogenated fats and fully hydrogenated fats, we are undermining our health at the cellular level in literally every single cell of our body. Now, the major polyunsaturated fatty acids are canola oil, soybean oil, which just happen to be two of the major GMO crops, peanut oil, sunflower seed oil, safflower oil, cottonseed oil. You know, any of the seed oils are going to be primarily polyunsaturated fatty acids. And yes, I did mention peanut oil. Peanut is actually not a nut. It is a legume. And its fat content is mostly um, of the polyunsaturated you know, nature. And it is not healthy. You know, in addition to having the wrong type of fat, uh, peanuts, most of the peanuts in the U.S. are infected with a cancer-causing mold called uh, aflatoxin, which is in the mycotoxin family. And so, you know, I highly recommend uh, discontinuing eating peanuts, peanut oil, or any peanut, peanut product, including peanut butter, and, you know, replacing it with uh, one of the healthy nuts, the healthiest of which is macadamia nuts. Now, most oils, you know, also um, at the top end start going rancid or are completely rancid within a year. So, um, you know, a rancid oil, it doesn't protect, you know, the food as you're cooking it and, <coughs> you know, giving our body rancid oil again, gives it broken building blocks. And so when we're looking for healthy fats to eat, and it's important to understand that healthy fats don't make us fat. They actually make us lean and healthy. And, you know, the healthy fats are the ones that the government has always told us are unhealthy. And it includes fully saturated fats like 
virgin coconut oil um, and red palm oil and butter and, you know, beef fat, you know, raised on, you know, grasslands, you know, which are organic. Uh, we have to remember that toxins, you know, including herbicides and pesticides are stored in fat. And so if we're eating, you know, the fat of an animal, which has been exposed to, you know, toxins, uh, their fat is usually, you know, has high levels of these toxins. So it's important to be sourcing, you know, grass fed meats, you know, also when we ruminants or, you know, cows, goats, uh, sheep, they're, they're good about taking the, um, monounsaturated fats in plants and turning them into saturated fats, which are healthy for the human body. However, animals like, you know, hogs and chickens are not. So when hogs and chickens are eating a diet of grains and polyunsaturated fats, corn and soy, um, it's actually you know, creating uh, the fat in their body of a polyunsaturated type. And so, you know, when um, selecting, you know, chicken and pork to eat, it's, it's important that, you know, we select, you know, true grass pastured, um, non-corn and soy raised, you know, chickens and hogs. And, you know, if we can't get those, it's better to abstain. Now, when we're cooking, um, there are, are two different, uh, you know, points within oil that, you know, have to do with human health and, uh, you know, cooking of food. And one is the oxidation point and the other is the smoke point. The smoke point is the point at which the fat starts breaking down and it no longer protects the food as we're cooking it. Now, far lower than that smoke point is the oxidation point. And the oxidation point is the point at which it turns from, you know, an, a healthy to an unhealthy fat. And so, you know, the ingredients that have the, or the fats that have the, you know, highest uh, oxidation points, you know, and smoke points, you know, are again, virgin coconut oil, red palm oil, butter, and, you know, grass fed, um, you know, beef tallow. And you can take these fats up to about 350 degrees um, before you hit their oxidation point. And so when I'm cooking, and if I'm cooking, you know, with, with oil or fats, I always uh, shoot my pan with an infrared thermometer. And if the temperature is over 350 degrees, you know, I, I turn the temperature down until it's 350 degrees or lower before adding my coconut oil, my red palm oil, or, you know, my butter. And by doing that, you maintain the integrity of that healthy fat and the healthful benefits.
Now, another um, poison that's, that's present in, in most of our food are called xenoestrogens. Now, xenoestrogens are usually found in plastics, and they come from uh, a family of chemicals called you know, phthalates and bisphenols. You've probably heard of BPA or bisphenol A. Well, these are estrogen mimickers or xenoestrogens, and your body uses them as it would a natural estrogen. Um, and estrogen-centric cancers love xenoestrogens. Now, when we look at plastics, um, there are no safe plastics, but there are safer plastics than others. And most plastic products have a recycle code on them that indicates the type of plastic that the item is made out of. And if you'll turn a bottle over, for example, it's usually on the bottom and it's in a triangle and you'll see a number, usually one through seven. Now, if you see a recycle code number one in that triangle, you know, that is polyethylene tetraphthalate, um, which is what most of the water bottles are made out of the you buy in the store, you know, the, the crinkly ones, they're not very thick. And, you know, they, they are, you know, one of the, the most dangerous plastics because of the high level of phthalates that they leach. Number two is high density polyethylene. And, you know, high density polyethylene is, you know, one of the two safest types of plastics. And, you know, if, for instance, if you look at the bottom of a milk jug, you know, you'll see a two, you know, that's an example of a high density polyethylene. And, you know, even at that, uh, you know, clinical trials have shown that even high density polyethylene, although it leaches far less than most other types of plastics, it's still leaches estrogenic you know, chemicals into the food. But if I'm going to eat out of plastic, the bare minimum, a type five plastic. Uh, number three is polyvinyl chloride or PVC. Now, this is one of the very harmful um, plastics, which leaches, you know, the most, uh, or the highest levels of xenoestrogens. Um, PVC is usually not used in uh, containers that are made for food, but PVC is used a lot in plastics uh, in which car parts are made out of. And so, you know, when you get into a new car, that new car smell, you know, unless we're talking about the smell of leather, uh, is PVC. And so um, if it's hot and you're getting into your car, you usually want to open the doors for, um, you know, 10 or 15 seconds 
to allow the volatile PVC fumes to be released from your automobile before you get into it. Because, you know, if not, you are receiving, you know, a toxic level of PVC fumes. And this is especially damaging for children and for babies. Um, you know, other um, very present forms of, uh, you know, these gender bending xenoestrogens are found in plastic baby bottles and nipples um, and in children's toys if they're made out of plastics. So, you know, if you see, you know, a young child or a baby putting uh, plastic in their mouths, they are getting high levels of these xenoestrogens. Um, they're also found in high concentrations in cash register receipts. Um, ideally, uh, you should just let the store email you your receipt. And if you're, th there are BPA-free uh, receipts and receipt inks, and you should encourage the stores that you shop at to use these, um, but they're not in very wide use. So unless your store is advertising that it's using BPA-free uh, receipts, uh, you should be careful about touching them. Um, you know, literally using gloves. Um, now, fabric softeners are also contain high levels of phthalates and uh, xenoestrogens designed to stay on your clothes. Your skin is your largest organ. And if the molecule is small enough, it is the fastest way into your blood supply. Um, you should also never drink from a garden hose, especially a warm garden hose, because uh, garden hoses are not made with food grade plastics. And even food grade plastics are highly problematic, but non food grade plastics. Um, are off the charts in the, the danger in the amount of uh, estrogenic chemicals that they leach into the water. Now, recycle code number four is low-density polyethylene. Now, low-density polyethylene is not as safe as high-density polyethylene, which is not completely safe, but it's two of the safest. Um, but it is much safer than type 1 uh, polyethylene terephthalate and uh, number 6 polystyrene and number 7 other. So if I absolutely, if it was critical, you know, I would eat something out of a type 4 plastic, although I certainly would look for other alternatives um, whereas a number one and a number three, absolutely not. Uh, number five is polypropylene, and it is uh, one of the two that are safest. So, you know, that's number two, high-density polyethylene, and number five, polypropylene. Number six is polystyrene, which is styrofoam. And, you know, again, it, it leaches large amounts of chemicals into our food, especially if the food is hot. So you never want to drink, you know, a hot beverage out of a styrofoam cup. 
Um, you never want to heat food that is inside a styrofoam container. And, you know, if you have food that is in a styrofoam container or comes in one of these other plastics, um, you want to get it out of that container as quickly as possible and put it into uh, glass or ceramic or, you know, something like that. And number seven is a catch-all of other. Now, number seven um, is what, you know, most Nalgene bottles are made from. And uh, a lot of the plastics in the number seven range are actually leaching formaldehyde. And, you know, so a number seven is another uh, plastic that you do not want to eat anything from. Now, in addition to the bisphenols, um, the most popular, uh, at least the most well-known is BPA. There are entire range of bisphenols that range practically the entire alphabet. And one that's even more harmful and more serious than BPA is BPS. And so a lot of products that are labeled BPA-free have actually replaced the well-known BPA with the relatively unknown BPS, which is actually much more damaging. And in addition to these bisphenols, you know, you've also got phthalates. And bisphenols and phthalates are plasticizers and are often added to, you know, plastics to make them more flexible. But, you know, they're, they're still often added to plastics that are completely rigid, like Nalgene bottles. Now, phthalates, um, you know, are particularly toxic to men, you know, being, you know, uh, a cause for testicular cancer, uh, genital, genital deformations, low sperm count, and infertility. You know, the, the next, you know, classification of toxins that we should not be putting into our body are the toxic halides on the periodic table. And on the periodic table, um, we have fluoride and we have chlorine and we have bromine, all very toxic to humans. There's only one halide on the periodic table that is healthy for humans and actually required for life. And that is iodine. And because our soils are so depleted in iodine and we're not replacing the iodine in our soils with things like wood ash, um, most Americans are deficient in iodine. And, and things like glyphosate and the toxic halides make that even worse. Now, when we're not getting enough iodine, our thyroid will absorb the toxic halides as a substitute, including chlorine, bromine, and fluoride. And so we should be eliminating the toxic halides from our diet. You know, and this includes going to a fluoride-free toothpaste, um, not uh, getting treatments of fluoride. Um, we need to be filtering the chlorine out of our drinking water. 
and we need to avoid things with bromine. Um, you know, some, you know, hot tubs and swimming pools in order to avoid the toxic uh, perception of chlorine, um, sterilize the water with bromine, which is actually even more toxic than chlorine is. Um, you'll also see bromine uh, in the form of brominated vegetable oil or brominated flour. And brominated vegetable oil is used in citrus drinks. And, you know, you want to stay far away from them. Um, touching back on plastics. Um, most tin cans are lined with a very thin lining of plastic um, to prevent the, the metal in the can from reacting with the food. And there are a couple of um, food manufacturers that use BPA-free linings uh, on their cans, but 99% of the cans that you buy in the store you know, have uh, a lining that is packed with bisphenols. And the more acidic the food, the higher the bisphenol and phthalate content in the food. And so I recommend never eating anything acidic from a can and limiting your exposure to any food that is in a can unless it is specifically you know, free of any phthalates and bisphenols. So you know virtually every water source in the country the EPA requires that it be chlorinated and so we have to filter out uh, our tap water and so almost all water supplies in the US uh, have uh, chlorine that has been added as a disinfection agent. And some of them also have ammonia. And, you know, either one of these, you know, are, are toxic to humans. But when they're used together, the disinfection byproducts uh, are 10 times more toxic. And, you know, it's critical that we, we filter our water um, and a pitcher filter like a Brita or a pure while it's good. It's not even close to being sufficient. Um, you know, most, most substances, you know, are between 70 and 80%, you know, filtered out, you know, with, a, a pitcher purifier. Um, one that, you know, I recommend is the, the Berkey system. It's a gravity fed with a stainless steel upper and lower. And I also recommend getting the stainless steel spigot uh, for the Berkey system. And you want to get the black filters. Um, you can get the white ceramic filters at a cheaper price. Um, however, the, the black filters um, are 99.9 to 99.99% .99 effective in filtering out most agents. 
And when you look at the cost per gallon, you know, you're talking, you know, one or two cents a gallon, which is, you know, extremely cost effective. Um, now, if you live in an area where they fluoridate the water, um, you have to add the optional fluoride and arsenic filters onto the Berkey system because the black filters do not filter out arsenic or uh, fluoride. And if you live in a county and you should be able to just search engine your county and whether or not they fluoridate the water, if you do live in an area that they fluoridate the water, you must be eliminating the fluoride from your drinking water. And it's also important to eliminate it from uh, your, your shower and bathtub water, um, which can be accomplished either with a whole home filter that also filters fluoride, you know, or you, know, you can buy uh, filters that you can attach to the shower head. Now, fluoride, you know, as we mentioned, is one of the toxic halides. And, you know, your, your thyroid is absorbing fluoride in absence of sufficient iodine. And the fluoride is also calcifying the pineal gland in your brain. And, you know, the pineal gland is responsible for, um, you know, a, a range of, of different functions, but it includes, um, your ability to, you know, visualize, to, you know, dream and to have visionary experiences. And, you know, once calcified, you know, our normal, you know, human diet, you know, there's nothing in there to decalcify the pineal gland. Um, you know, however, um, the, the mineral boron is a particularly effective decalcifier of the pineal gland. And the easiest way to get boron is simply in a box of borax. And borax is not a detergent. Borax is simply a salt of boron. And, uh, you know, they, they haven't, you know, added anything to it or taken anything away from it. And, you know, Virtually everybody is also, you know, deficient in boron. And so, you know, virtually everybody would be helped by simply getting uh, a box of 20 mule team borax and adding one teaspoon of borax powder to either a liter or quart of water. And, you know, let that, um, you know, settle in the water and then stir for a couple of minutes until the borax, which is simply a boron salt, is completely dissolved. And then of that solution, your one teaspoon of borax powder that's dissolved in a quart of water, from that one quart of water, start with two teaspoons of that solution in the morning and two teaspoons in the evening. And it will rapidly start to calcifying the pineal gland and you will most people notice that uh they're they start remembering their dreams and their dreams become much more vivid 
even as soon as the very first dose. And, you know, boron is not only needed for the pineal gland and its decalcification, but, you know, a host of other uh, body symptoms. And once you start taking boron, which is probably the, the cheapest supplement that you can be on, uh, you'll notice that, you know, a lot of conditions start clearing up because in reality, they were simply a result of boron deficiency. Um, now, while, you know, fluoride, you know, does, you know, chemically, you know, bond to the enamel on your teeth and, you know, it does give some benefit, you know, to the enamel on your teeth. There is another substance that bonds far more effectively a thicker bond, a harder bond, and that is actually the active alkaloid in cacao, which is theobromine. And you can actually get uh, theobromine-based toothpaste on the internet. It's fairly expensive, um, but it is a much better option than fluoride. And you know, fluoride is is never good taken into the body. Um, you know, in areas where they have fluoridated water, um, you usually see high levels of fluorosis, you know, browning and molting of the teeth and bones from too much fluoride. And this happens not only in the teeth, but throughout the body. Um, now, since we're talking about the teeth, mercury, which on average is about 52% of silver or amalgam fillings. Um, mercury is the most toxic element on the periodic table next to um, the radioactive elements. And when mercury comes in contact with human cells, it literally causes them to explode. Um, there were warnings put out on eating seafood tainted with mercury at the level of two to three micrograms. Well, each mercury filling can leach um, up to 15 micrograms of mercury vapor every single day. And you have to multiply 15 micrograms by the total number of mercury fillings that you have. And while dentists in dental school are taught that as soon as you form the mercury amalgam, that that mercury is completely inert and cannot be released. If you go talk to a, a chemistry professor, they will laugh at you. And, you know, that is patently absurd. And so, you know, if you have mercury fillings, if you have silver fillings, like I did, I highly recommend that you find a biomimetic or a biological dentist and, you know, have them remove the mercury fillings and replace them with something else. Um, and it's important that you find a biological or even better, a biomimetic dentist because they actually respect the toxicity of mercury. 
Now, I know people that have had mercury fillings removed by standard dentists who do not respect the toxicity of mercury. And as a result, they have gotten a mercury poisoning and have developed symptoms that uh, are MS-like. Um, you know, I know my old childhood dentist, dentist, he preemptively drilled out all my teeth so that I wouldn't get cavities and he filled all of my molars with mercury. And so I think I had 14 mercury fillings in my mouth. And, uh, you know, I went to a biomimetic dentist. I had them all removed in one day. It took 14 hours and he literally rebuilt my mouth. And I have to say that I felt a dramatic difference the very next day. And, you know, from a health perspective, uh, having my mercury fillings removed by a biomimetic dentist is one of the best things that I have ever done. And uh, it's not inexpensive However, it is well worth the, uh, the expense. And I, I can recommend uh, a very good biomimetic dentist in American Fork by the name of Danny White. Um, there is also a biomimetic dentist in Spanish Fork, Wendell Robertson. And, you know, they're both excellent. And, you know, I highly recommend them. Now, if you have mercury fillings, or if you're about to have them out, or if you've recently had them out, or if you've consumed uh, seafood that has likely been contaminated with mercury, and most seafood is contaminated with mercury, especially the larger fish, uh, you know, tuna, uh, swordfish, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the fish that are least contaminated with mercury are the smallest fish and those with the shortest life, life cycles. Um, so, you know, sardines, uh, mackerel, uh, wild caught Alaskan salmon are good examples of seafood with low levels of mercury. Now, this does not extend to any farm-raised fish. And farm-raised seafood uh, is one of the most toxic uh, meats that you can consume. Um, the, the feed for farm-raised fish usually has uh, insecticides built into them because, you know, in the ocean uh, farmed fish, you know, sea lice is a big problem. Um, and, you know, because of the toxic uh, fish food that farmed fish are fed. Uh, you know, many of the fish also have uh, a form of fish leukemia, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I would never eat any seafood that has been farmed. And if I go to a restaurant and I'm ordering seafood, I always check with them and make certain that it is wild caught and that it is not factory farmed. Um, now, if, if you 
if you do have a reason to detox mercury, you know, from your body, um, there are, you know, a couple of products that I highly recommend. Uh, the first is Redmond clay and Redmond used to be able to, uh, sell and advertise their clay for, for human use. It's been used for thousands of years by indigenous population. FDA clamped down hard on them. So now they just advertise it for making facial masks and things like that. Um, you know, I've been using Redmond clay for years and years and years uh, to you know, detox and heal the body with 100% success rate. And so I recommend using one teaspoon of Redmond clay, uh, which you can order online if you search in Redmond clay, or if you go to, um, you know, Real Foods, you know, they have locations in Heber, in St. George, and in Orem, and in Salt Lake, you can buy Redmond clay. And I recommend taking one teaspoon uh, per cup of water. And if you let the, the clay sit in the water, and I always use filtered water for a couple of hours. Most of the clumpiness and even the taste goes away. And, you know, I, I'll drink a cup of Redmond clay, you know, every day because it not only helps to detox mercury, but a whole host of other toxins or poisons that we are current, that we're always being uh, bombarded with, um, including a host of, you know, pathogens, you know, viruses and bacteria. Redmond clay is very effective in eliminating from the body. Um, another good detox protocol for mercury to add to that is activated charcoal. And I specifically look for activated charcoal from uh, coconut husks. While you can take Redmond clay every single day, and one note on that, do not mix Redmond clay up in plastic because it will pull the petrochemicals out of the plastic. Mix up the Redmond clay in ceramic or glass. And what I do is I have a, a six cup pitcher that's ceramic. And so I'll add six cups of water and six teaspoons of Redmond clay. And so it's ready and convenient that I can just pour a glass of Redmond clay every day. Uh, do not take Redmond clay with any medications because it will leach those out of your body. And I, I take it apart from any supplements. And, you know, I usually find that I, uh, I'll wait about a half hour after I have uh, had a, a glass of clay water before I eat anything else, including taking any supplements. And if I've eaten something or taken any supplements, I'll wait an hour after eating those to take my dose of Redmond clay. And we're going to be talking more about Redmond clay as we, as we talk more about detox protocols. Um, but specifically about fluoride, when you're taking activated charcoal, uh, you, you can't take it every day. So, you know, a good regimen is to take it every day for a week and, you know, wait two or three months and then do it again for a week and wait two or three months do it again for a week and just keep cycling on and off. Um, another good detox for mercury is actually raw egg whites. And, you know, if you're eating 
raw egg, you have to be very careful about the source of your eggs and that, you know, your eggs are coming from true grass pastured hens that aren't being fed a diet of GMO corn and soy. And they're actually out getting sunshine because confined feeding lot operation hens, um, you know, are kept in unsanitary conditions. They're fed toxic food and they're not getting sunlight. And, you know, your, your chances of getting salmonella from one of these eggs is fairly high. Um, sick chickens produce uh, eggs with salmonella, whereas a free range chicken eating a natural diet, not of IFA uh, chicken feed, which a lot of your neighbors use to feed their backyard chickens, um, but are getting a natural diet and sunshine. Um, those chickens rarely get sick and they produce healthy eggs. And while the healthiest part of the egg is actually the yolk, despite what you've been taught, um, all of us would be healthier by eating uh, 10 to 12 uh, raw egg yolks from a truly grass pastured, you know, natural chicken a day. Um, it's the white that actually um, binds with mercury and will leach it out of your body. Um, now, raw egg whites are also a biotin or vitamin B7 binder. And so, you know, I do not recommend consuming uh, raw egg whites on a regular basis, um, you know, because you want to maintain as much biotin as possible. But in the circumstance where you're trying to detox mercury and um, oftentimes a candida overgrowth is a sign that you have mercury toxicity because allowing candida to flourish is one way that the body mitigates the toxic effects of mercury. Um, you know, I do recommend uh, raw egg whites from a true grass pastured natural hen uh, for short periods of time to detox mercury. And the easiest way to consume that is, you know, if you're doing some type of shake to, you know, add those raw egg whites at the very end. You know, next on my list are artificial sweeteners. Now, artificial sweeteners are far more toxic than sugar. And under no circumstance should you consume an artificial sweetener. For instance, aspartame is uh, probably the most part of popular artificial sweetener, and it's comprised of three substances. It's comprised of a weakly bonded methyl group to phenylalanine and freeform aspartic acid. Now, freeform aspartic acid, just like freeform glutamic acid, you know, two amino acids that we do actually need, but we need the uh, glutamic acid and aspartic acid as part of a whole protein. And our body is able to deconstruct those proteins and use them in a healthy and safe manner. However, in their free form, they are what are called excitotoxins. Excitotoxins are able to pass the blood-brain barrier. 
and they they excite the neurons in the brain to stay open so long that they absorb so many calcium ions that the neurons die. So literally every time you take aspartame, you get dumber. Secondly, that methyl group that's weakly bonded to the phenylalanine, as soon as it hits about 87 degrees, that chemical bond is broken. And now that methyl group is methanol or wood alcohol. Now wood alcohol is far more deadly than isopropyl alcohol or rubbing alcohol. Um, the methanol is transported throughout your body. It starts attacking and killing your optic nerve. If you are on aspartame long enough at high enough dosages, you will go blind. And below that, you will have uh, visual damage from the methanol attacking your optic nerve. It's transported to your brain. It's transported to your bone marrow all of your organs. Now, we do have an enzyme that converts the methanol eventually into formaldehyde. Now, all mammals other than humans have another enzyme that breaks down formaldehyde into harmless formic acid. And that's why animal studies on uh, aspartame toxicity are almost useless because... Uh, they have the enzyme to break down methanol or rather formaldehyde and we don't. So the formaldehyde builds up in our brains, in our bone marrow, in all of our organs. And over time, formaldehyde poisoning has symptoms that mimic MS. And since we don't have a detox pathway for formaldehyde, um, in our normal human diet, we never get rid of the formaldehyde that's building up in our body. However, the, the detox protocol for fluoride is also a good detox protocol for formaldehyde, including the Redmond clay and the activated charcoal. Um, you know, probably the, the second most popular artificial sweetener is called sucralose. It's also called Splenda. And um, if you're consuming the, the whey protein from Costco, you know, it probably has both. Now, sucralose is broken down into dioxin. And it's literally like taking a grenade and putting it into your gut. It'll kill up to 50% of all the healthy gut bacteria every time you take it. And the higher it's heated, the more dangerous it becomes. Uh, another popular artificial sweetener is acephalsame potassium. You'll often see it abbreviated acephalsame K. Um, you'll also see artificial sweeteners like neotame. Um, and under no condition would I ever consume, you know, any food with an artificial sweeteners. Now, an herbal sweetener is not an artificial sweetener. An herbal sweetener is something like stevia or lohan. Lohan is, you know, also monk fruit. Um, you know, especially in its whole leaf form, you know, stevia and monk fruit are actually quite healthy. And, uh, you know, then you have your sugar alcohols like xylitol. Um, 
and it's advertised that, uh, you know, the sugar alcohols are non-digestive. There is, you know, a certain percentage that does, is absorbed. So they're not, you know, completely non-caloric. And if you get too much of them, it usually causes, you know, gastric upset. So, you know, things like xylitol, you know, are safe in, in, you know, moderate, you know, quantities. Um, one of the worst offenders for artificial sweeteners is chewing gum. Um, virtually any chewing gum that is sold in a regular grocery store is sweetened with aspartame and or sucralose. And if you want a non-artificially sweetened chewing gum, and this applies to also most breath mints, um, you have to go to the health food store. And there they have, you know, chewing gums and breath mints. You know, they're usually sweetened with xylitol. And so, you know, I would not ever consume, you know, a chewing gum with an artificial sweetener nor would I ever let my children, you know, consume them. Um, Next thing to watch out for in our food are, you know, preservatives and, you know, stabilizers like carrageenan and polysorbate 60 and 80. And if, you know, when you go to buy cream in the store, you will often see the additives of carrageenan and polysorbate 60 and polysorbate 80. Um, You know, the argument is made, well, carrageenan is a natural substance. It comes from red seaweed. Uh, But I would submit there that there are lots of natural substances that are extremely toxic. Um, For example, you know, ricin um, comes from castor uh, beans. And ricin is simply the lectin of the castor bean. And just as it is you know, very poisonous, uh, carrageenan is not healthy. It's in a lot of dairy products. It's in a lot of ice cream bases. And uh, it's in a lot of cream that you will buy in the grocery store. I, I would only buy cream or eat ice cream that is carrageenan-free. Um, you'll also see a stabilizer, uh, polysorbate 60 and polysorbate 80, uh, used in dairy products. I would also, you know, never consume a dairy product with polysorbate 60 or 80, uh, far more toxic than carrageenan. And polysorbate 60 and 80 are also often added to vaccines. And it's the polysorbate 60 and 80 that uh, enables the mercury and aluminum in vaccines to easily pass the blood-brain barrier. And it exponentially increases the neurotoxicity of the heavy metals in vaccines when they add the polysorbate 60 and 80. You don't want it in your vaccines and you don't want it in any of your food. Um, You'll often also see, you know, to breakfast cereals, you know, BHT is added for freshness. Uh, also avoid it like the plague. You know, you also want to stay away from artificial colors and flavors. And what this means is that you now have to read the ingredients in all the food that you, that you buy 
and that you eat. And this is a burdensome activity at first, but you quickly learn what the ingredients are in the foods that you eat, uh, you know, which, which foods uh, have acceptable ingredients and those that do not. And so again, if, if you're, if you're buying something and in the ingredients, you know, you see any of the polyunsaturated fatty acids, including corn oil, soybean oil, cottonseed oil, canola oil, uh, sunflower seed oil, uh, safflower oil, peanut oil, um, you know, to completely avoid it. And these oils can also be hidden under the name of creamer. So if you see sunflower seed creamer, um, that is, you know, just a form of sunflower seed oil. And while, you know, I would, if I had to prefer a, a sunflower seed oil to one of the GMO oils like canola or soy, um, you know, still, you know, I would not consume foods uh, made with these oils, you know, or if you see, you know, any artificial sweetener and, you know, a key indicator is if the product says zero sugar, whenever a product says zero sugar, you always have to check the ingredients and look specifically for the artificial sweeteners, aspartame, sucralose, um, acetylcholine, potassium, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now regarding the polyunsaturated fatty acids, the omega-6 fats, um, they actually will cause insulin resistance even more quickly than sugar will. And so type two diabetes, you know, everybody knows that sugar is, uh, a main culprit, but it's not the main culprit. A bigger culprit than sugar in type 2 diabetes is the polyunsaturated fatty acids. And sugar actually ranks number two. And you know, we also have to realize that the complex carbohydrates are just more complex forms of sugar, you know, which includes you know, all the grains. And you know, ideally, uh, we want to limit our sugar consumption to you know, 25 grams a day from all sources, uh, including fructose. Um, and if we're trying to, you know, drop our body fat percentage, it would be better to limit, you know, all, you know, sugar consumption to 15 grams. And, you know, a way to calculate the total amount of sugar is if you look on the label, you know, it will list sugar content, but that's not the total sugar content. You have to take the total number of carbohydrates and minus from the total number of carbohydrates, the total amount of fiber. And that will give you the total amount of sugar in the item that you're eating. Now, perhaps the most harmful form of sugar that we can consume is actually one that is considered the healthiest, and that is agave. Now, agave is 80 to 95% freeform fructose. Now, fructose compared to glucose 
has the same metabolic pathway as alcohol. In reality, alcohol is just a highly refined sugar um, that more closely resembles fructose than it does glucose. So alcohol, you know, has to first be processed in the liver. And so does fructose. And overconsumption of fructose can cause cirrhosis of the liver or fatty liver disease as quickly as overconsumption of alcohol. Um, you know, while glucose can be immediately utilized by every cell in the body, including, um, you know, your brain for energy, fructose cannot. And so, you know, fructose is even a more powerful uh, signaler to develop insulin leptin resistance than glucose is. Now, sucrose is a table sugar and it's, it's a molecule that has a glucose and a fructose you know, bonded together. And fructose is more easily handled by the body when it's bonded to a glucose molecule. And you know, the body maintains about one teaspoon of glucose per gallon of blood. As soon as you hit a tablespoon, you die. So as soon as your blood sugar level uh, goes above one teaspoon per gallon, your body starts dumping insulin into, you know, your, your bloodstream. You know, one of the things that does is it, it helps facilitate the transport of glucose into the cell. Well, if, if the body, if the cells get too much glucose, they die. And so when you have too much insulin uh, in the blood for too long a period, your cells start becoming insulin resistant as a self-preservation method. And so you have this cold war that can develop between your cells that are trying to keep them alive and your pancreas that's trying to keep you alive. And so as blood sugar levels are elevated, and again, uh, the polyunsaturated fatty acids are a much more severe um, agent for insulin resistance than even sugar is, but you know, sugar is next on the list. Um, when your cells become insulin resistant, this means that your blood sugar levels rise even higher. And so your pancreas has to pump out more insulin as a result. And not only does it then have to pump out insulin, you know, when uh, sugar is consumed, but it has to pump out more insulin all the time or your cells, you know, won't get the energy that they need and your, you know, resting blood sugar levels will, you know, rise uh, too dramatically. And so, you know, it's this, it's this cold war between your cells and your pancreas. And this induces what is called metabolic syndrome. And metabolic syndrome is, you know, pre-type 2 diabetes, you know, on your way to full-blown type 2 diabetes. Now, the worst thing that you can do for a type 2 diabetic is actually to prescribe and take insulin because type 2 diabetes is not a problem. The body is not producing enough insulin. Uh, the body is producing lots of insulin. And 
So by taking endogenous insulin, you're actually only making the problem worse. Type 2 diabetes is 100% reversible through diet. And if one is already taking insulin um, for type 2 diabetes, one wants to work with their doctor to scale back the insulin and you know, completely eliminate endogenous insulin and radically change their diet to reverse the type 2 diabetes. Now, corn syrup is also much worse than regular sugar. And, you know, to produce corn syrup, you know, they usually take corn starch and they often use mercury cells to, you know, split the glucose and fructose molecules and make corn syrup or high fructose corn syrup. And, you know, again, uh, it's not just the total amount of fructose, but the total amount of free fructose that uh, makes corn syrup more dangerous than regular sugar. And they usually use GMO corn to produce the corn syrup. So you've got that toxic effect uh, added to it. And uh, the Washington Post did a study in 2010 where they took both off-the-shelf corn syrups and they took products made with corn syrup and they analyzed them. And they found that at least 50% of the samples had unsafe levels of mercury from the processing of corn starch into corn syrup. And although the mercury isn't supposed to leach from the mercury cells during this manufacturing process, uh, it does. It usually does. And, you know, 50% of the samples were just the levels that had what the EPA would consider unsafe levels of mercury. Um, but the level of contamination of total uh, products was much higher than 50%. Salt. Um, salt has a bad rap. Um, because when you take salt and you bleach it to make it white and you strip it of all its minerals, it does, in fact, uh, generate a high level of toxicity, both from the chemicals that they use to bleach it because there is residue and uh, sodium needs to be taken as part of... Um, a family of minerals. And so when you take it in its complement of minerals and not in its bleach state and in a state that is free from modern day oceanic contaminants, salt is exactly one of the healthiest uh, nutrients <coughs> that we can take. And most people are actually deficient in you know, the healthy form of sodium, your entire central nervous system, you know, operates on the potassium sodium gradient. Um, most of the cells in your body have to maintain the same salinity as seawater. And so the two salts that I, I highly recommend are Redmond real salt and, um, pink Himalayan salt. You know, the major difference between those two, they're almost chemically identical. They were both laid down far back in the earth's geologic past, which means they're not 
contaminated by modern day oceanic contaminants, which, you know, even uh, untreated and natural um, sea salts are still contaminated with uh, modern day oceanic contaminants. Well, Redmond Real Salt and Pink Himalayan Salt are not. Um, but Redmond Salt is mined with first world standards and first world sanitary standards in central Utah, uh, while uh, Pink Himalayan Salt is you know, mined in the third world. And so because of that reason, I usually opt for Redmond Salt as opposed to Pink Himalayan Salt, although you know, I do consume pink Himalayan salt and, you know, they actually take heart attack and stroke patients and put them on a teaspoon of Redmond salt three times a day with each meal. And they show dramatic improvement, you know, precisely those conditions, which are exposed to be on extremely low sodium diets. Well, you know, again, it's not the sodium that is the problem. It's the form of sodium that is being ingested. that has been bleached and has been stripped of, it's mineral complement. And um, you want to generously use Redmond salt on everything you eat. And literally, the more um, real salt that you consume, the healthier you will be. Um, in fact, the, the bleaching process that they carry out on table salt uh, leaves such an acrid and bitter taste that you'll often find um, sucrose, which is pure glucose being added to the salt to cover up for the, the uh, you know, terrible taste that, uh, you know, is left, you know, by the bleaching process. And I find there, there's nothing worse than destroying uh, great food with table salt um, you know, especially, you know, when you put a lot of time into it or have spent a lot of money for it. So if I'm going to a restaurant, I, I try to always take, you know, a, a bottle of Redmond Real Salt with me. And, you know, once you have tasted the difference just from a, a taste and culinary, you know, aspect, you know, you, you really can't ever go back. Uh, you know, table salt really tastes terrible. And, you know, Redmond Real Salt, Pink Himalayan Salt, you know, actually, you know, taste wonderful and makes your food taste much better. Now, personal care products are brimming with toxic chemicals. And the general rule of thumb is if you can't eat it, don't put it on your skin. And uh, the problem is much more difficult for women than it is men. Um, because women, you know, if they wear makeup, they really need to find, you know, a, a natural makeup to wear that isn't overloading their bodies with toxic chemicals. So our bodies are made to detox, to heal and build all at the same time. However, um, because of our exposure to modern day contaminants, and toxins and poisons, our bodies are usually so overwhelmed with detoxification that we never get into healing, let alone building. So whatever we can do to limit the toxic load on our body, 
uh, allows our body to get on top of detoxification um, so that we can simultaneously be healing and building. And again, if we're not taking active measures to reduce the toxic load on our body, uh, our body is absolutely overwhelmed with detox all the time and cannot keep up, which means we get very little healing and very little building. So um, some of the things we need to look for in personal care products, you know, as we already mentioned, you know, fluoride in toothpaste, eliminate it. So what I personally use for toothpaste is I have some hydrated Redmond clay in a glass jar in my bathroom. And I have another glass jar with some virgin coconut oil. And, you know, I take, uh, you know, a, a fingertip amount of each and I use that as toothpaste. And occasionally, you know, I'll add a, a drop of peppermint oil or clove oil or, you know, on guard or thieves oil um, to my clay and my uh, coconut oil, you know, mixture. Um, you know, you can also add a little bit of baking soda to that. Um, antiperspirants. So antiperspirants are designed to stop perspiration. And they do that generally through uh, adding aluminum that clogs the pores. Well, aluminum is a toxic uh, uh, neurologic heavy metal. And, you know, it's not healthy for any part of the body. So at a bare minimum, you know, I recommend uh, never using an antiperspirant again. And even when you get into deodorants, which are not antiperspirants, they're usually full of toxic chemicals. And, you know, one of the worst is something called a paraben. And parabens are preservatives. You find them in most shampoo poos, conditioners, lotions. Uh, most personal care products contain parabens. Um, and so you want to look at the ingredients. And if your personal care products contain any parabens, uh, do not use them. Um, you know, which means you're probably going to have to convert over to uh, a more natural product and but even some natural products still contain toxic ingredients so again you have to be an ingredient reader and read you know every ingredient and again a good rule of thumb is if you can't eat it don't put it on your skin um now most of what we call soap actually isn't soap it's actually detergent and detergent is actually one of the fractions of oil as they're refining it into gasoline and detergents are toxic. Whether we're using detergents to wash our dishes, our clothes or our bodies, we don't want to use any of them for any of those purposes because there are always residues that are left that, and our skin being our largest organ, um, you know, these residues are readily absorbed uh, by the things we put on our skin and uh, the clothes that we wear on our bodies. And so I recommend instead of using detergents to wash your clothes in, find a natural soap. 
instead of using detergents to uh, using your dishwasher or to, as a dish soap, get a natural soap. Um, and instead of using bars of detergent, you know, in the shower, again, get a natural soap. Um, you know, a good natural soap that I've found to, uh, you know, use in the laundry is made by Five Star Soap. It's called Seafoam. And uh, they also make a great uh, dish soap that is actually, you know, scented with orange essential oil. You know, again, you want to stay away from things labeled as fragrances. Fragrances are usually, um, you know, neurotoxic chemicals. And so, you know, if you're going to have products that are scented, um, you know, an essential oil is a great way to, you know, scent, you know, a product. And if, if what you're using just says fragrance, um, you know, that should usually have a skull and crossbones on it and it's something that's toxic. Now, we, we mentioned lectins, and uh, lectins are sticky proteins, and uh, plants can't run away from predators, so they've developed a very complex system of self-defense, and one of these systems of self-defense are these sticky proteins called lectins. Now, you've probably all heard of gluten. Gluten is just one of the lectins that is found in wheat, but it's not even close to being the, the most problematic lectin, which is uh, wheat germ, you know, lectin. And, you know, lectins are found in a lot of different plants. Um, they're found in all the nightshades, like uh, tomatoes and eggplant. Um, in Italy, when they use tomatoes, they always remove the skin and the seeds. And that's exactly where the lectins are in the tomato. And so if you're using tomatoes, um, it's best to remove the skin and the seeds. Because what lectins do is they are designed again to permeate the gut lining and to create holes in the gut and to cause leaky gut. Literally stuff that is in your gut that is supposed to stay contained to go into your bloodstream. And um, then uh, uh, these, we have these foreign proteins being released to the bloodstream and your body mounts an autoimmune response to these foreign proteins. Well, some people are very lectin sensitive and um, this autoimmune response uh, creates, you know, more serious uh, side effects and it can cause joint pain and uh, systemic inflammation throughout the body and headaches and a wide variety of problems. Um, so there is actually a very good uh, list of lectins that is put together 
by the cardiothoracic surgeon, Dr. Stephen Gundry. And I'm going to post a link to his list of lectins. Um, let's see. Although I think that just copied the text over. Let me try one more time to get an actual link. Here is a link. Okay, there's the link. So I recommend that everybody review the link because even if you don't have gastrointestinal or autoimmune uh, reactions to lectins, the gut is connected to the brain via the vagus nerve and lectins will travel up the vagus nerve to the brain. And there, the latest research is showing that a lot of MS is actually being caused by exposure to lectins for an extended period of time by people who are particularly sensitive to them, at least neurologically. Um, and so, you know, lectins, you know, are not things that are safe uh, virtually for anybody. And again, you know, beans are very high in lectins. Uh, grains and seeds are high in lectins. Um, now, if there are some lectins that are able to be destroyed in a pressure cooker. So if you are doing things like rice or beans, um, they should be cooked in a pressure cooker to, you know, destroy to the greatest extent possible, the lectin content. And even things that were classically thought to be very healthy, like quinoa, which is not a green um, and contains complete protein is very high in lectins. Now, another big lectin is in dairy. And in dairy, um, we have two main types of protein. We have casein and we have whey. Now, the, the casein protein is primarily uh, type A1 and type A2. Type A1 casein is a lectin-like protein. So it's not exactly a lectin, but it functions in your body exactly as a lectin. And so um, Holstein cows, the black and white cows, produce uh, almost entirely type A1 casein. And casein... Uh, type A1 versus A2, it's typically not 100% one or the other, but it's typically a ratio. And in Holstein cows, uh, the ratio is usually above 90% A1 to A A2. Um, now, the Guernsey cows, which are found in southern France uh, and you know other places in southern Europe, are... Uh, you know, type A2 producing uh, animals. And so 
people that have milk allergies, if we're talking about um, uh, a lactose or galactose intolerance, if they have a milk allergy, most often that allergy is an allergy to the type A1 casein uh, in the milk. And they can handle type A2 milk just fine. Now, humans pr produce type A2 milk. Um, goats produce type A2 milk. Sheep produce type A2 milk. Um, Guernsey cows produce type A2 milk. Water buffalo produce type A2 milk. And so people with dairy allergies can usually handle goat milk just fine. And if they can handle goat milk just fine, they're also going to be able to handle cow's milk that's type A2. Now, there is uh, a herd in Utah that is 100% certified A2, and that is available at Redmond Heritage Farms. Um, and to get 100% A2 uh, herd that's not exclusively Guernsey, cows, um, you have to selectively breed and have both a father and mother that uh, have double A2 alleles, you know, each of them. And if both father and mother have double A2 alleles, they're going to 100% of the time produce offspring that also have type A2 alleles, double A2 alleles, which means they will only produce type A2 milk. Now, so it's the same thing with cheese. Um, if your cheese is made with type A1 casein milk, um, you're going to have uh, an unfavorable reaction to it. Now, if the cheese is aged over a year, the enzymatic process on the cheese will break down the type A1 casein into something that no longer behaves in the body as a lectin. So most people that have this A1 sensitivity uh, can handle uh, cheese that has been aged over a year just fine. And if the cheese hasn't been aged over a year, um, you can find cheese that is made from type A2 milk and your body should be able to handle it just fine. Now, some people do not make um, lactase which is the enzyme needed to break down lactose or galactose, the sugar in milk. And in those situations, uh, you can simply take the enzyme lactase um, and be just fine with breaking down the galactose uh, either in milk or in dairy products. Now, Vaccines. What is being called the vaccine for COVID-19 actually isn't a vaccine at all. It is technically a gene therapy. You know, a vaccine takes, um, you know, an attenuated virus and which is supposed to deactivate it. So, um, it has a very low virulency, uh, just enough to allow the body to uh, produce antibodies to fight off, you know, that 
that virus. Um, that's not what the COVID-19 um, injection is. The COVID-19 injection uh, is an mRNA fragment that has been genetically produced in a laboratory. Now, most uh, RNA that uh, is in the body has a very short shelf life. So it doesn't survive very long. So it's not threatening. But what they've done to uh, this mRNA sequence in the COVID-19 vaccine is they have encapsulated it in a fat substrate called liposomes. And then um, they have added a substance called PEG or polyethylene glycol, which helps the mRNA fragment to survive because you have to keep these very cold temperatures. And, you know, that's why, you know, they have to keep the COVID-19 at, you know, you know, 80 below zero is to preserve the integrity of the mRNA, but that normally would be destroyed as it's injected into the human body and it comes up to body temperature. So they add the PEG or polyethylene glycol to help the uh, artificial mRNA sequence to survive the temperature fluctuation and then, you know, they encase it in the liposome to help it avoid destruction by the human immune system until the liposome is able to carry it into the cell where it unpackages and literally starts reprogramming our DNA. And again, um, in every animal trial they've done on an r uh on an rna um gene therapy like the one they developed for sars1 the the animals you know ferrets in this case were all showing you know great um results they were developing you know antibodies as their cells were being reprogrammed um and the reason they were doing just fine is that, you know, they, they hadn't bonded the mRNA to polyethylene glycol, uh, like with COVID-19. And, you know, they weren't using uh, liposomal microencapsulization. Um, but as soon as the ferrets were exposed to the wild virus, every single trial, there was a hundred percent death rate. So, um, there are viral specialists um, who are asserting now that the that the virus that the COVID nineteen gene therapy is designed to interact with has not yet been released into the population. That it is also something that is lab created, and that it will be relay, released into the population in the future. And when it is released into the population in the future, 
um, virologists are expecting similar results with the with the ferret uh, tests, and that is 100% death rate. Now, complicating uh, that is that they have combined, um, you know, this and with you know PEG, PEG, or polyethylene glycol, and that is largely responsible for the slew of negative reactions, including deaths that we're seeing, especially with a second dose. Um, but even, you know, short of death, there is high incidence of Bell's palsy and other neurological effects uh, with just the second dose. And this is completely separate from the devastation that we're going to see with the COVID-19 vaccine whenever they choose to release the engineered virus that COVID-19 was uh, designed to interact with. Now, separate from this COVID-19 gene therapy, you know, we have the regular vaccines. Now, most vaccines, except those that are given to children under the age of two, with the exception, of course, of the flu vaccine, uh, use mercury in the form of thermiosol as a preservative. There is no safe exposure level to mercury. In fact, uh, if they were to drop a series of vials of the flu vaccine on the floor and they were to break, they would have to dress up in hazmat suits. And because of the level of mercury contained in those vaccines, they would have to have special EPA disposal for uh, that level of mercury. And yet they're allowed to inject that into our bodies and not even tell us the dangers that are associated. Now, in addition to mercury, uh, aluminum is also often added to vaccines as an adjuvant. Now, an adjuvant is designed to intensify the immune response so that we can actually develop an immunity to um, whatever the vaccine is for because whatever virus the vaccine is based on is supposed to be um, have had its virulency reduced to the point that uh, we can't actually get the disease from the vaccine. And so you have to intensify the body's immune response to develop an immunity. Well, lots of problems with that. One is the aluminum in the form of alum is also a powerful neurotoxin. And when you combine aluminum with mercury, the neurotoxicity is off the charts. Um, they also severely damage the gut, the gut lining, uh, and the gut microbiome. And uh, most autoimmune disease, you know, has something to do with a combination of exposure to glyphosate and immunizations. Now, when they also add um, polysorbate 60 and 80 to the vaccine, 
This helps facilitate the transmission of the aluminum and the mercury across the blood-brain barrier and, again, cause uh, severe cerebral inflammation. Now, it's interesting that they have a whole vaccine schedule for newborn babies because newborn babies uh, don't yet have an immune system. They get their immune system from their mother's milk. And so they don't have the equipment to develop an immunity to anything with. So why would you give a newborn baby a vaccine? For the only thing that you're doing with that vaccine, even if you're going, you know, according to the completely conventional wisdom, um, that the child could be developing an immunity to the disease from the vaccine. Um, since they don't have an immune system, they can't do that. And you're simply uh, introducing a high level of mercury um, and aluminum, at least mercury when it's a flu shot, although that has been removed from all other vaccines given to children under two, but you're still develop, delivering a high level of aluminum to the brain of that developing infant, which is exercising powerful um, neurotoxicity, uh, as well as to the gut, which is compromising their gut. Um, you combine that with exposure, even in minute amounts to glyphosate. And therefore you have incidences of autism going off the charts. Um, you know, before, um, the introduction of you know, widespread use of vaccinations. And it only got worse when you added glyphosate to the mix. The incidence of autism was less than one in 50,000. It was so rare that before 95, most doctors had never seen a case of autism. And now in Utah, um, especially among boys, it's now in one in 43. By 2030, if we continue on the same trajectory, it's estimated that one in three will be autistic. You know, also the original polio vaccine was, you know, grown on uh, the kidneys from, you know, apes from India and Africa. And as these apes from India and Africa were in the lab, you know, together, uh, their viruses, you know, crossed and um, produced something called the simian virus. And from that original polio vaccine, about 100 million Americans were infected with the SV30 cancer virus. Um, you know, looking at, you know, polio and the extreme spike in polio that we experienced uh, in the U.S. and its decline, um, you know, its incidence, you know, correlates perfectly with the use of um, pesticides and herbicides um, 
that have been synthetically uh, produced by chemical companies and used in agriculture. And, you know, especially drinking that water unfiltered and, you know, bathing or swimming in water that has that agricultural runoff of the pesticide and herbicides. And, you know, once, you know, the level of sanitation increased and once DDT had been banned in the United States, um, you know, we see the levels of polio um, fall off dramatically. Um, you know, tetanus, so rare that no doctor that I have ever talked to has even seen a case of it. And unless, you know, you are a ranch worker um, with a high likelihood of stepping on a rusty nail that will deeply penetrate the skin, um, you know, that's where the, the tetanus bacteria resides. It's a bacteria from the soil that actually grows on uh, rust and, you know, giving a newborn baby a tetanus vaccine or, you know, everyone, every time they come into the hospital, a tetanus vaccine is, is irrational because the, the chance of contracting tetanus is so rare. Um, and the amount of aluminum and mercury that one is being exposed to uh, the, the risks are so great that, um, vaccines simply are not justified. Now, pharmaceuticals, um, you know, Western medicine, um, and pharmaceuticals are, are great and life-saving, especially when we are talking about trauma and acute events. However, uh, pharmaceuticals, when we're talking about chronic or lifestyle events, are almost never beneficial. And one I would like to highlight are statin drugs. It is the goal of the pharmaceutical industry to get every adult on a statin drug or cholesterol-lowering drug. Um, and, you know, based on the research of Ansel Keys and a study funded by Crisco back in the 1950s, where cholesterol and healthy fats were demonized, and we were told that the healthy fats are actually the shortenings, um, which are in shortening in margarine, the partially hydrogenated fats and the polyunsaturated fats, that those were the healthy fats when it's exactly the opposite. And so cholesterol is not the enemy. Cholesterol is one of the most critical um, nutrients in the human body. Um, our brain is made out of it. Every cell wall in our body is made out of it. Our mitochondria, which produce the energy are made out of it. All of our hormones, including our sex hormones are made out of it. Uh, in fact, almost nobody gets enough dietary unoxidized cholesterol, which means their liver has to produce the rest. Um, and even, you know, we have this HDL and LDL 
which are HDLs and LDLs are actually not uh, good and bad cholesterols. They're lipoproteins or cholesterol carriers. And LDLs uh, are called the bad cholesterol because um, in arterial plaque, uh, what we see is, you know, these arterial plaques are made of LDLs. And so the, the analogy has been made, well, if you want to call LDLs the problem, that would be like uh, looking at fires and the total number of fires at which firefighters show up at and saying, well, look, you know, firefighters are the cause of all fires. Um, what we find out is that it's actually insulin and uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids that are damaging the arterial walls. And as a band-aid to the damage that insulin and the polyunsaturated fatty acids are making to the arterial walls, um, that damage is being patched up by LDLs. And so... Um, having high LDLs is not a problem. Um, the problem is consuming polyunsaturated fatty acids and high levels of sugar. Um, if, if you're not doing either one of those things, um, in actuality, studies have shown that the higher levels of your cholesterol, the HDLs and LDLs, uh, the longer you live, the healthier you are, and the longer period of time you have with uh, a high level of cognitive function. And then it's actually the, those individuals with lower levels of HDLs and LDLs have the shortest lifespans and the highest incidences of chronic disease and cognitive impairment. And so I recommend that if anybody is on an LDL, is on a statin drug that they quickly reduce the use of that statin drug um, and no longer use it because there are no statin drugs that are safe. A statin drug is designed to uh, dissolve the arterial plaque um, and cholesterol, which it does do very effectively. The problem is our brain is made out of cholesterol. And so are cell walls and so are mitochondria and so are sex hormones. And there's no faster way to uh, dementia, you know, being in a wheelchair and drooling on yourself than on a statin drug. Um, you know, I've watched, you know, family members and good friends, you know, start on statin drugs. And within two weeks, I can notice substantial cognitive decline. And uh, when they go off the statin drug, their cognitive ability returns. And not only, you know, have I, you know, also witnessed substantial uh, cognitive decline, but also substantial decline in physical ability, which is also restored when the individual goes off the statin drug. Um, you know, the, the one long-term medication that uh, 
is necessary until it's controlled by a natural source is probably high blood pressure medication. You know, however, usually an individual is put on two or three high blood pressure medications. Uh, this is never a good idea. You know, that's just laziness by the physician and not doing the proper testing. Um, there's virtually never a need for more than one type, but since they don't know because they don't do the proper testing, because that takes time, uh, the exact cause of the high blood pressure, they just usually like to cover all the bases and this is life-threatening, um, you know, but with proper lifestyle, with a proper diet, not eating polyunsaturated fatty acids, uh, not overconsuming sugar and getting a reasonable amount of exercise, virtually nobody should have a problem with high blood pressure and, you know, a natural blood pressure lowering agent is, um, an amino acid called L-arginine. And that's because under exertion, L-arginine is converted into nitric oxide and nitric oxide is a vasodilator. And so, you know, anybody on blood pressure medication should, you know, work with their doctor to reduce the amount of blood pressure medication they're taking by reducing their blood pressure naturally uh, by a healthy diet and lifestyle and taking supplemental L-arginine three times a day. And, you know, virtually everybody that does this, you know, sees that their blood pressure goes back within the normal range. Um, we are going to have to, you know, continue our uh, discussion on um, the word of wisdom for our day next week. Um, I, I still have a whole list of toxic ingredients that we need to stop putting into our bodies. And then once we stop putting the poison in, then we have to focus on, well, how do we detox our body from a lifetime of putting poison into our body, usually unknowingly, and, you know, then we can get onto healing and building our body into the healthiest body that we can have. And, you know, so I was hoping to get through all of these, of these topics tonight, um, but we've only gotten partway through the first topic. Um, and, you know, tonight I actually, you know, have another meeting starting in Salt Lake. And so I have to, uh, you know, forego the, the normal uh, question answer session. So if you do have questions on anything that we have talked about tonight, please write them down and we will have an open question answer, you know, after next week's meeting. And I'll stay on as long as it takes to answer all the questions. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. And I will bid you good night until next week.